0: Here we go. You're listening to Email Friday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, Law and Gospel, on this May the 5th in the year of our Lord 2023. So, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, part of the problem in reading the Bible is that most people only are able to read English translations. And the fact of the matter is, that a Bible in the Greek really wasn't put together till Erasmus in the 16th century. Up until then, they were manuscripts, hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts. So when you read an English translation, you are, depending on the people who put together the English translation to have made the right decisions in what words they are using uh, in regard to translating the Hebrew and the Greek. And then there are times that Jesus says things that you really need a pastor to help explain. For example, Jesus talks about his disciples being the salt of the earth. Now, there are a lot of metaphors in the Bible that Jesus talks about. In in fact, uh, this Sunday, uh, or last Sunday, was Good Shepherd Sunday, and Jesus is telling his disciples that the shepherd comes in through the gate, others do not go through the gate, the sheep hear his voice and they follow him, they don't follow a stranger. And it's very interesting, in the Gospel of John, it says, and the disciples did not understand what he was saying. Now, this shows you that they needed interpretation of even the words of Jesus. In fact, Jesus had said before his crucifixion that he was going to die, and three days later he would rise again. Well, it appears that hardly anyone believed that except a woman who anointed him for his burial. One woman, tremendous. So Jesus had to explain to the disciples what was the meaning of his crucifixion and his resurrection. And I consider it the greatest Bible study ever to have occurred, and that was on the road to Emmaus. Two disciples They knew about his crucifixion, and they had heard about his resurrection, but none of this made any sense to them. So how did Jesus make sense to them? Did he show himself to be Jesus? No. At first, on that road to Emmaus, they did not recognize him for whatever reason. Jesus had done this other times, like Mary at the tomb did not recognize him, thinking he was a gardener. But then he told them from the Bible, Old Testament passages, one after the other, fulfilled when Jesus said, I am the Redeemer, I am the resurrection and the life. And when the two disciples heard all of these passages from the Old Testament, even before they recognized it was Jesus talking to them, their hearts leaped for joy. And of course, when they sat down to eat and Jesus became recognizable to them, they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles indeed what they had experienced. And at that time, the apostles told them that the women had also seen the resurrected Jesus and that the tomb was empty. So this is the purpose of a pastor. A pastor is trained in theology. I make a big distinction between the Bible, knowing it, and knowing it's theology. It's kind of like I enjoy watching YouTube things about all kinds of stuff. Well, here's a farmer and he gets up at four in the morning, and he goes and gets on this big John Deere, and he goes through the field, and he's picking corn, which is on stalks and cobs, corn cobs, and what comes out are the actual pieces of corn from the corn cob. Now, I see that. I have no understanding. How the machine did that. And so a farmer does understand it because at times he has to fix it. Sometimes the machine breaks down, and so he has an understanding. And this is like the Bible you can read the Bible and yet not understand many of its words. So we want to take a look at two of them today. The first one is the salt of the earth. Why does Jesus use salt as a metaphor for what a Christian ought to be like? Well, in many African communities today, the only way to preserve things from decay is by applying salt to them. The preservative role of salt, it's natural. It does not depend on any other factors, like electricity, to be effective. Jesus knew that the earth is bound to decay if nothing is done to preserve it. So he commissions us, his disciples, to become the salt that will uphold the truth that will deliver the world from moral decay and falsehood. Uh, There's another reason that Jesus uses the metaphor of salt. Have you ever eaten food that does not have salt applied to it? Boy, sometimes it doesn't taste very good. And that's a real problem today for people who are diabetics and need to stay away from salt. I, I still haven't figured out why grocery stores don't have an aisle just for diabetics, where you can buy food that is really low in sugar, if none at all, and hardly has any salt in it. Now, more and more things are coming out, but they should have a whole row of this. Uh, That grocery store would become a millionaire grocery store in no time when people who have an illness that needs to keep them away from salt But salt also adds flavor to food. Now, in some parts of the world, that flavor is added by spices that are not salt. But at the time of Jesus, they used salt to add flavor to food. And how many times, even cooking a hamburger or a piece of beef or vegetables, you're always told to add a little salt. Well, Jesus wants us to be distinct and to add taste to the world. The presence of believers, no matter how few they are, should radiate the salt of grace and kindness in any environment that they are found in. As Christians we should be able to preserve the truth of the word of God and act as God's agents of grace in the societies he has placed us in. In fact, when you're listening to a sermon, all the truths of that sermon should be found in Holy Scripture. Because all that a pastor is doing is repeating the words of Jesus. And the words of Jesus are found throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, he was only able to use the Old Testament to prove there were definitely promises, and of course, he showed how he fulfilled them. The New Testament had not yet been written. We have both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and so we can become the salt of the earth When we run into people who are living immoral lives, we can explain to them that that's not according to the will of God. And we can use Bible verses, like the book of Proverbs that we're studying on Wednesday, showing God's will for our lives. So these truths that believers are preserving are all handed down to us and uneducated men in bible times turn the world upside down but unfortunately today we have even professors in theology and educated preachers are no longer capable of bringing changes in small communities because truth is no longer being championed so i make a distinction between those who know the Bible and those who know the theology of the Bible. The word theology comes from two Greek words, theos, God, and logos, word. So what is theology? Theology is how God thinks. It's the word of God. And so you can read a passage and you can read the English, you can understand what it says, but you miss out on the theology. What is really being said? Why is the writer, prophet or apostle, being inspired by the Holy Spirit to put that down? And the way you discover that is by that tremendous Lutheran principle, scripture interprets scripture. So when Jesus was talking on the road to Emmaus, he used the scripture showing, first of all, that there was a promise of a Savior, Genesis 3.15, that that Savior would come and suffer, Isaiah, and that that suffering would include a form of death where he was pierced in hands and feet. That's Psalm 22, the crucifixion. In fact, I was just taking a look today, Uh, I've got more orders for the book, Old Testament Prophecies of the Bible that are fulfilled in the New Testament. It's 40 pages of over 400 prophecies. And what you do on the left side is the prophecy from the Old Testament and on the right side of the page is the New Testament fulfillment. Of that prophecy Uh, you can order the book simply by emailing me at my new email address Tom Baker at brick dot net that's b-r-i-c-k dot net that's how you get a hold of me on email right now and I'll let you know therefore uh, what way in which to obtain this book on prophecies of the Old Testament. But the prophecies and their explanation and fulfillment help you to explain the metaphors of the Bible. So salt is very important. There is a moral decay in our nations and societies today. And in a sense, therefore, the earth has largely lost its saltiness. The truth is no longer preserved. It's edited to suit the culture. And so, people particularly who believe in evolution, where there are no morals at all. I mean, if you believe that evolution is the way to live a life, then why don't you become like a male lion and kill female lionesses? And also, eat the children that are not from you. I mean, evolution is not the way to follow God's way. And therefore, having the salt of the earth, we learn from God what are His ways of having us live a life. All the moral lapses in our societies and nations today are a result of a believer's inability to preserve the people by telling them the truth. Just recently, we talked about this radio personality who says he will not come down with the Chinese virus because he has faith. And the first thing that came to my mind, he has a congregation, and in the congregation are human beings who die. And they die from COVID, some of them, what's he going to say at their funeral? That they did not have faith because they got COVID? This is ridiculous. Even believers fall under sickness, injury, and unexpected death. That's part of being in this immoral world. And so we need to tell people to understand who Jesus is, but a lot of times we refuse to tell them not to sin anymore. People are no longer warned of the dangers of sinful lifestyles, and this has resulted in them pursuing their self-centered goals and lustful desires, even after they have made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. This was an email from Oscar Amachina. He's the president of Afro Mission and Evangelism Outreach in Nigeria. And his calling, he says, is to take the gospel to where no one has either preached it or heard about Jesus. The second email I want to talk about is from Roman Krisnarik. Now, he is a writer about philosophical items and knows a little bit about the Greek words for love. He indicates that in the ancient Greek language, there are at least six words for love and knowing them can change your life. The the one word is eros. And this involves a loss of control that fight the Greeks. They would have been shocked by our crudeness in using a single word, both to whisper, I love you, over a candlelight meal, and to casually sign an email, lots of love. For them, there are different kinds of love. And what I found interesting, eros is sexual passion. It was named after the Greek god of fertility and represented the idea of sexual passion and desire. The Greeks did not always think of it as something positive. In fact, eros was viewed as a dangerous, fiery, and irrational form of love that could take hold of you and possess you. This was an attitude known by such Christian writers as C.S. Lewis, who would indicate that those living in a lifestyle of sin, whether or not it's homosexuality, uh, abortion, transgenderism, that eros has taken over them. And that's why we use it sometimes to refer to erotic love. A lot of times, uh, young men at colleges, they can twist a woman to believe that they love them, and they're only doing it for passion's sake. And it's important for young women to realize that love is not something that just occurs because someone loves you or gives you flowers a lot of times there can be another purpose behind it that is sinful uh, another word for love is philia that's a deep friendship you best know it from the name of the city philadelphia made up of two greek words philia which means kind of, A brotherly love and Adolphus, which is the word for brother. That's why we call the city the city of brotherly love, Adolphus. So, this can be a love that you would take care of someone because they're related to you. In contrast, if they're a stranger, someone comes to the door, your front door, knocks on it, says, I need money to buy gas, but. You don't see his car around, and you realize he's going to be buying liquor, so you don't give him any money. But if he's your brother, then you would tend to help him. Then you've got agape. Agape originally was just a normal kind of love, but especially in the New Testament, it becomes the gift of love the highest form of Christian love, and therefore, it is a love that Christians have because Jesus had it. Remember that important verse? For God so loved the world, and the word there is agape. C.S. Lewis referred to it as a gift of love, but there's growing evidence that agape is in a dangerous decline in many countries. Empathy levels in the U.S. have declined sharply over the past 40 years, with the steepest fall occurring in the past decade. We urgently need to revive the capacity of human beings to care about others who are not just related to them to have the kind of love that Jesus had, where he cared for all people. And that love sometimes can also include a form of justice or discipline. Remember Jesus, Peter says, we'll protect you from being killed if you go to Jerusalem. Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. So that's a form of agape love because Jesus so loves Peter, he wants to make it clear to him that what he is saying at that point is really from the mind of Satan, not from the mind of God. So a lot of times people living in immoral relationships will use the word love, like they'll say a pedophile. Well, we love each other, And there are pedophiles who fool around with girls 12, 13, 14 years old. In some countries, they even marry them. But that is really not proper love. This is an erotic type of love, a selfish type of love, a sensual type of love. It's not the love of God. And so there are other words. In the Greek, ludus is kind of a word, L-U-D-U-S, is a playful love. And and therefore, dancing with a stranger may be a ludic activity, a playful substitute for going further. Social norms may frown on this kind of adult frivolity but a little more ludus might be just what we need to spice up our love lives. Then you have pragma, that's a long-standing love. It was popularized by the Canadian sociologist, John Allen Lee in the 1970s, who described it as a mature, realistic love that is commonly found among long-established couples. So what we're talking about here is the first love you may have towards someone you want to marry may be erotic, but once you're married, it can form into an agape type of love. And yet we use the word love to cover all of these instances. I mean, how many times when you go to a restaurant, they ask you, what are you going to eat? And you say, I love the ice cream they have here. Well, that would be a different form of love, obviously, yet we still use the word love here. So it's important, probably the best book in the Bible about the Bible to have is a concordance that not only has the English in it, but also tells you what the particular Greek word is. So if you look up the word love, like in strong's concordance which is available from concordia publishing house a big big book you find many words for love and then you go down until you find john 3:16 and there you will find the word agape and it's written in such a way that you can read it then you can read the other verses that have that word agape in it to help you understand the proper meaning of love. This is why you need a pastor trained in the original Greek and Hebrew. We don't want sermons talking about social ministry, namely, here's how you should behave in society. Here's the kinds of things that you should be fighting against, like racism, etc. Although those are important topics, the sermon should be about the love of Christ who died so that you will never really die and who lives so that you will live eternally every sermon often divide law and gospel and take a look at the text and in the context tell us what the meaning of those words are I'm Tom Baker thanks for listening to Law and Gospel on Monday we'll look at a Bible passage using the distinctions between law and gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.